All right. Welcome, everyone, to episode 103 of the Cardano Effect podcast. Rick and myself are the host, and we appreciate each and every one of you here. This is our weekly live stream series. A couple quick reminders. I'd like to remind everyone that there's a great resource that all Cardano people or people that are interested in blockchain can utilize. It is the Cardano Forum. So you can head over to forum.cardano.org and create a free account. You can utilize the information on that website. So there's a lot of articles that are written by the Cardano Foundation or Emergo or IOHK. And the official information is on that website. And if you just want to learn more and speak with other community members, it's great as well. There were two articles written this week by the Cardano Foundation, one of them titled City AM. Blockchain Can Future-Proof the Financial Services Industry, written by Henrik, who is the General General Secretary of the Cardano Foundation talked about cross-border payments, digital identities, asset tokenization, trade finance, credit and loans. So all the information about the future use cases of Cardano. And then the second article written by Elliot Hill, blockchains of today versus blockchains of tomorrow. So go ahead and check that out. Remember, the account is free and it's always good to read more information. There are a lot of video mediums out there, but reading is also really good. So we're on Epoch 211. Rick, how are you doing today? We have some special guests. What's going on? What's happening? Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you for asking, Philippe. I'd like to give a shout out to the Cardano Foundation for sponsoring this podcast. We very much appreciate your support. I would also like to remind any viewers new to this podcast, it's available on all major audio streaming platforms. All right. So today we have Sam Leathers returning to the Cardano Effect. He is the master of DevOps on the test nets and now the main net. And uh, that's uh, Master Jedi is what I call him sometimes. And we also have Pratesh from Kaizen Crypto with us today. And today, the main things we'll be talking about is the mainnet is up and running, the deep parameters counting down, and we're going to roll into all that kind of stuff, talk about the important parameters, what they mean to you, and some other things that, about the testnet. And so, thank you for joining us, Kaizen, for uh, first time on the podcast, Pratesh. Yes. How, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, you guys. Thanks so much. I'm so excited to be here. All right. We're very glad to have you on. And Sam, thank you for returning to the podcast you have been a very busy person. I can't I can't imagine how many hours a week you work. So the first thing I was going to ask you about is when do you sleep or do you sleep at all? <laughs> <laughs> so actually this month I've actually slept pretty well. I've pretty much been in bed by midnight every night. Going through June and July, it was a little rough, but things have definitely mellowed out and I completely credit it to the uh, quality code that the team's put together that we're running on mainnet now. Yeah, well, great job on the Haskell test nets, spinning them up, getting the information out there and getting everybody on the same page and then finally transitioning to mainnet. And when we transitioned to mainnet, that was, uh, I'd say it was a little smoother than when we, we transitioned. We did some transitions early on in the on the Jormungandr test net. The mainnet, all the work that you put in and the entire team put in really helped with that smooth spin up of the mainnet. How did it look from your angle? How did it look from your perspective of DevOps? Oh, it was perfect. I couldn't have imagined anything better. Um, the, o- the only thing better would have been if we didn't have the um, issue with the um, epoch boundaries where we lose the first three to five minutes of blocks. Um, that has been resolved, um, but it there's not a release out that fixes it yet. Um, so I've been very, very happy with it. My team's been able to relax a good bit because we're not getting paged incessantly and it's, it's just been a very good product that we've put out. Yeah, it is a fantastic product. I got to thank everyone for all the massively hard work they did because it's very light and efficient 
And again, the epoch boundaries, um, do, what, what's, what's going on there that causes them to ramp up? Because the relays do stay connected. They just, uh, they got a lot of work to do. What's going on there? Yeah, so basically it's calculating the uh, stake snapshot for the epoch, the one after that's going to be done, and that's basically what's hitting it. And there's been some optimizations that the devs have done that have helped that significantly. But as people saw this week, we kind of had to pull those optimizations at the last minute. So that was that was the only day that like I had a really rough day in August. So I, I, I'm thankful for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate your humbleness and patience working with all the stake pool operators. I know we can be a little bit demanding at times. And we have you outnumbered about a thousand to one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you guys are my support. You're not demanding of me. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, man. That's good to hear. I'm so glad you take it so well. You take it so well. <laughs> All right. So we're gonna. Ha what we'll have is people will be talking to us in chat, and Philippe and I okay. will will take a look to see what the questions are coming in there. Before before Sorry, we jump ahead, to chat, can we have Sam Sam explain what the D parameter is and what exactly happened on August 13th at 5:44 p.m. Eastern Standard Time? What does it mean for delegators? What does it mean for operators? Absolutely. So the D parameter is a security parameter that basically lets us transition slowly. So instead of having to transition everything all at once, we can kind of take our time, ease into it, make sure that things are going well. And um, it worked perfectly. I mean, we dropped it from 1.0 to 0 0.9, which means 10% of blocks on the chain are now made by community pools. I was rather worried with a lot of the um, reports we got from um, people just looking at stake allocations that so much was at the top that it just wasn't going to be as decentralized as I would have liked. But I checked pool tools this morning and there's over 200 pools that have made a single block. So that's looking pretty promising right there that things are going in the right direction. Yeah, that's good to hear. I'm glad you're checking those kind of stats because it's very important to understand the the broader network effects. People were, were people were worried about how much stake is in in fewer pools and how much stake is in a larger number of pools. So the D parameter currently equals zero zero point nine um, in the current epoch, and then I submitted the update proposal right after that epoch started. Um, to drop it down to 0 0.8. So it will be going to 0 0.8 in the next epoch. Excellent. So you've already submitted the proposal. Nice. Yep, there, there already submitted, confirmed. No going back now. <laughs> it's on the blockchain. We're going it's to 0 0.8. It's on the blockchain, exactly. We are going to 0 0.8, which means twice as many blocks are going to be made by community pools as there were this epoch. Now, that's not going to happen every epoch. Don't get all excited that it's like every epoch comes by, we get twice as many blocks. No, it doesn't work that way. We're going to be dropping it down much, much slower after 0 0.8. But we really wanted to give it a good uh, shove and push, basically, to get people making as many blocks as possible as soon as possible. Yeah, awesome. That's good. And that will help pools with modest amounts of stake stay in the game because they can put that block out. And as long as D is 0 0.8 or 9, something above 0 0.8, if each pool that makes one single block, that pool will get full rewards commensurate to the amount of stake they have. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. All right. Yeah, I had a little trouble wrapping my head around what does that mean? So if a pool has 20 million stake and there's a certain amount of rewards they would get for 20 million stake, 
as long as that pool makes one block, they'll get the rewards commensurate and then distributed according to that amount of stake. And it will go to all the delegators, right? I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. You'd have uh, talking to Lars or Duncan would be a better person exactly into what's going on there. But yeah, basically the BFT nodes don't get any rewards from making blocks. So it's proportional to if D were to zero, how you would be getting your rewards. Okay. Yeah. So those rewards that the BFT nodes would have got will kind of just kind of spill over. Yeah. To is a good way of putting it. Someone described it like that on the ITN. Those rewards spill over into the other pools that created blocks. All right. Yeah. Cool. cool. All right. And I have a question. I have a question for Pratesh. So if you can educate our audience. So congratulations on getting your first block in this epoch, first of all. And um, rewards are supposed to hit August 23rd. So I don't know. Can you let viewers know or listeners know exactly how this reward process is going? Because during the ITN, the epoch was only one day long. Now it's five days long. So when should delegators expect rewards from a pool like yours? Yes. So uh, thank you so much for that. I mean, just so much anticipation for that first block. Really excited. And, um, you know, for the pools that are minting blocks now, as far as when we can anticipate rewards. So it's the 23rd, I believe, uh, or the 28th. I'm not sure if it's one or the two of those because, you know, the pools right now, they're minting blocks. And like Sam was saying, so if you mint the block, basically it doesn't contribute towards your performance. Um, so I believe it's the 23rd. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's 28th when you get 28th? the rewards. Okay, okay. It was the 23rd before, and I think they pushed everything back. Yeah, we epoch, pushed so, everything five so, days. Yeah. yeah, so. I thought it was the 18th before and got pushed to the 23rd. <laughs> or it might, it might be that. It was the 18th pushed to the 23rd. The rewards would actually be, have distributed. So today's the 16th. Okay, 16th. And they're, <laughs> and they're currently making blocks as of. Rewards are going to be tallied on the 18th and they should be distributed the 23rd. Okay, so okay. 23rd. You're right, 23rd. Rick. It's the 23rd. 23rd. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I know with that with the epoch being pushed back, so okay. Cool. Yeah, cuz we yeah, we want to make sure people get those rewards. And that is the number one question when are the rewards? Philippe, I'm glad you asked that. That's something we got to hit we got to touch on thoroughly here early on in the podcast, okay? Is how long is an epic today compared to the ITN? And when you get your rewards. So as Sam just uh, delineated, the current stake came from two epics ago that's currently present, the snapshot from two epics ago. The pools are making blocks based on the, the snapshot from 12 days ago. Then you'll get paid on the 23rd the rewards for that pool, right? Now, something we got to be alert to is that on the ITN, it conditioned people to one-day epics, and now they're five days. One-day epics are easy because I say, well, I was delegated to this pool yesterday, and I got my rewards today. And if my rewards went up, I got a good pool. And if my rewards went down, I've got maybe maybe not so good pool, right? And it was easy. But now it's complicated because it's five days, and you got to kind of like look big picture, right? What are some of the hazards we're facing here having these longer epics? What might happen to medium-sized or modest-sized pools? You're better off, actually. You have a whole lot more blocks in the epoch. So if you're a small pool, if we had like six-hour epochs, you'd never 
ever get rewards. I mean, you would every now and then because of probability, but you'd go epoch, 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 epoch without getting any rewards. And then you'd get lucky on one where with a five day epoch, there's just much more blocks available for the taking. Okay. So if I have a modest sized pool, let's say somewhere between 10 and 15 million, which is a lot, but it's Mm -hmm. still in the modest range. And I didn't make a block yesterday and today, but I make a block tomorrow. I'm still inside the same Epic and I'm still going to get pretty good rewards for that one block. Yes. Yeah. And more importantly for the first, I think it's the first two epochs pools are making blocks. The, Daedalus is basically going to count anyone that gets a single block as being a good performer. And then after we get two epochs out, then um, it's going to look at the performance metrics and see if it's making as many blocks as it should be. But in the initial stages, it's basically just looking at, and actually I think it's tied to the D parameter. I think it might be 0.7 on the, when it drops below 0.7, that's when it starts uh, showing the the real performance metrics instead of just uh, making sure that you get a single block to show that you're a good performer. So just to sum that up, right now, until that D parameter hits like 0.7, more blocks does not equal more rewards. When we get to that point, it's going to be all about block efficiency. So if a block, if a pool has three or four blocks assigned during a particular epoch and they hit all three, four, they can be just as efficient as a larger pool who may be assigned more blocks. Is that correct? I don't think that's correct. I, I do believe that more blocks equals more rewards. Um, but when it comes to how it's displayed in the wallet and the um, reward calculation metric to see how well of a performer you are, that if you get one block, you're going to look as good of a performer as someone that gets 100. Okay. Okay. And the key is once, or or from what I understand and what I just heard, once D drops below 0.8, once it hits the 0.7 and below range, then performance will matter. The number of blocks commensurate to the amount of stake on that pool. Yes. Okay. I think that's 0.7. That would be a good question to ask one of the developers or Lars. I I was, um, I did read... It was uh, Simon Thompson's article on the IOHK blog. Uh, I think it's 0. 0.78. Is it 0. 0.78? 0. 0.78, on, okay. On, uh, on August 28th, I believe. So that's when we should see the performance start to kick in for these pools. And then I guess rewards will be proportional to the active stake at the time of that epoch. Okay, so it's after August 28th. We'll start seeing real performance metrics according to the protocol start to kick in roughly. That sounds that sounds right to me. Okay. And then the D parameter counts down to zero. What's what's your yes. guys' guess is when do you think it'll hit zero? Do you know you, I know we looked at a chart. Like I said, we're hitting the brakes here after point eight. We're not going to be going down nearly as fast. So give it time. I mean we're we're looking at building a blockchain that we want to outlast our lifetimes. So if it takes six months to get down it's not really that long in the scheme of things. Um, I agree. I, I calculated about 200 days, possibly. I always give myself the worst case scenario. So worst case scenario, might maybe 200 days, approximately. What is that? Is it about six months? Yeah, six months, yeah. 180 days. Yeah, something like that. So, so yeah. during that six-month period, what kind of 
problems or what kind of issues do you think that you're going to be working on? Is it more like the game theory about how rewards are distributed or the percentages or is it more of a protocol issue and code is going to be fixed itself? Okay, so one of the things before we start going like I would say probably before we get under 0.5 that we want is we want to make sure the P2P is fully tested and out there um, because it's not sustainable for pools having to deploy their topologies every day to make sure they have the right nodes in there that they want to talk to. So we definitely want to have the P2P before we start going way under. Other things we're working on is um, starting to integrate Gogan. So we're going to be doing that pretty heavily here in the next month. And then finally, the most important to me right now is this month and probably the start of next month from the node side, one of the most important things is to get the performance issues under control. So Daedalus syncs fast again, pools don't get relay desyncing. So, and this was something we knew going into this, the, the devs absolutely made it clear to us that they focused on correctness first, not performance, and that performance would come later. So the performance will get better. We will be doing some cleanup this month, beginning of next month, and we should have, like, uh, I, I guess if we have a uh, um, Ferrari now, we'll have a Lamborghini uh, when that's done. <laughs> <laughs> Good analogy. <laughs> I, I see that as a downgrade, though. So, oh, oh is that a downgrade? I don't, so, so. I don't know my car, cars very well. I just know everyone says one Lambo, so I figured Lambos were better than Ferraris. How about, how about a Bugatti? Bugatti. Oh, there we top go. End. That's top end. Bugatti Chiron. Okay. Yeah, we're going for the Bugatti Chiron. Okay. Top end. Top end. <laughs> Good stuff. All right. So D's counting down over the next six months, two hundred days. And somewhere in between, um, Gogwin Voltaire will launch. And isn't that one of the reasons um, so you can put Gogan out, the smart contracts get deployed, and you don't drop D too low so that yeah. if there's any issues, you can, con you can yep. contain the – okay. Yep. So we, that's the other thing. We want to make sure that Gogan is working correctly, multi-assets, all that stuff is – playing well, we have enough people participating in running multi-asset currencies um, as pool operators, which means more rewards for you um, as pool operators. So yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff coming down the pipeline with that. Other things we really want to get done is the uh, multi-sig story. Make sure that the node has uh, is ready and the node CLI has all the tooling needed to do multi-sig which we can do that before Gogan. We don't have to wait till Gogan for that. Um, so that will probably come sometime in September as well that we're working on. Okay. Can I ask you a very general question about Gogan? Yeah. Uh, so Gogan is right now, it's kind of a nebulous thing. You know, what is this thing? Where does it run? What does it do? Okay. So in the general context of things, where would the Gogan code run? Whatever that code does. Would it sit on a pool node or can it sit on anything? And then that thing has to talk to a pool node. How does that work? It's going to be part of the Cardano binary that pools run. Okay. So it will run on the pool node alongside the consensus algorithm. Yep. Nice. Okay. That was the only question I have. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> so we can assume that the specs for pool nodes will increase in the future as... When Gogan, when you're gonna have to run Gogan as well as as Shelly, 
you're going to need higher requirements. Probably. And I, I think like pools can basically opt in to like what kind of things that they want to be able to support on their pool. So like not all pools might be doing every um, uh, multi-asset currency. So there's some level of configuration there that's still being finished right now. So I don't have details on how that will look from a pool operator perspective, but stay tuned. It's going to be fun. That sounds very interesting. So I could run a Shelly Relay on a Samsung Galaxy S10 if I could, wanted to, but I can opt out of running the Gogan code on it and just let it be a relay. Oh, your relay is absolutely not going to need to do any smart contracts. Okay, so just on the core block producers, yeah. you would have to enable the feature that says run the Gogan code or not. That's my understanding of it. Okay. Like I said, I'm not an expert in that regard. I haven't even looked at the Gogan code other than playing with some of the smart contracts in the playground. So that's kind of my understanding on it, but could be completely wrong. So don't yeah. put me on it. <laughs> okay, I won't. I understand, Sam. I totally understand. You're like the pizza delivery guy. You don't make the pizza. You deliver the pizza. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Man. <laughs> exactly. That is my first job, actually, delivering pizza. Yes, that's awesome. <laughs> Pennsylvania got the best pizza. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to check chat for questions. One of the questions was when DAPS, when Gogwin and stuff like that. I think we kind of touched on it. I keep calling it Gogwin. Gogan, right? So when when's Gogan roughly, was it late November? I thought I saw on the schedule. I think somewhere in there, whatever the schedule says. Okay, okay, whatever the schedule says. Yeah. It was somewhere late November. My guess is deployable probably by mid-December. That'd be a nice Christmas present. Yeah. That would be cool. Okay. Yeah, Sonny uh, acknowledged that the 0.78 looks like uh, was right. I hope I read that right. Nice. Okay, 0.78 um, Epic 213 it looks like. And... Uh, Charles is in the chat. Hey, Charles. Charles is dropping har- uh, hardware uh, in the chat. Is nice. he dropping hardware? Yeah. <laughs> Does he have his affiliate Amazon links? links. <laughs> Amazon links. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Full operators know what to buy. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's a good one. That's smart. <laughs> yeah. Dropped hardware links in the chat. Yeah. So I guess that's what we're going to need. <laughs> yeah. Devere says we want a thread ripper. Get that thread ripper. <laughs> We have a question from Insalada Cardano Stake Pool. So can D move back towards one after it's set to zero? It can. If we move back, we're probably going to go straight up to one. We're probably not going to slowly go back to one because that would mean something really bad happened and we need to get control of the system right away. We have no intentions of going backwards. And the plan is basically after D goes to zero, we remove the D code basically from the node itself. So there, without making a code change, there is no way to move D back up. I mean, it still has to be able to support it to be able to read the previous block history, but for future blocks, you can't just say, okay, now we're gonna quickly do an update proposal that does this. Update proposals won't support D anymore at that point. So is there a point of no return though? Like where you just can't, you physically can't? No. Until it's removed from the code. And then Until it's removed from the code, and then it's a hard fork to basically add it back in. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. You know, I think it's good risk management to have that D parameter in there because 
when we had to rust ITN, I mean, we broke stuff. The code recovered, but it, it was painful sometimes, <laughs> right? There, there was a few times like, oh, wow, man, the operators really pushed that one hard. And it kind of, we, you know, we learned a lot from it. But having the deparameter is good risk management. I believe Charles said once those training wheels come off and the deparameter is gone, it's out there. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It was, it's necessary. In the meantime, we'll have to put up with people saying, oh, it's not decentralized because it still has a deep parameter. <laughs> okay, go ahead and nitpick. It's good risk management, period. We, we <laughs> said from the beginning that it was not going to be decentralized from a governance perspective until Voltaire. We're at Shelley. We're not at Voltaire yet. So we're on step one of decentralization, not final decentralization. Mm-hmm. That's very understandable. And I remember reading about the deparameter, I don't know, year, two years ago. Maybe it was a Plutus Fest in 2018 that the deparameter, that it was going to be a long process to bring things down to decentralize the network without causing a catastrophe, for lack mm-hmm. of a better word. All right. So we, uh, we have a question in chat from uh, Farzem Pilagi and says, what happens for rewarding system when the ADA tokens run out? Ah, good question. So um, uh, you're referring to the reserve there with the ADA tokens running out. So when the ADA tokens run out, then rewards are coming strictly from fees. So fees will probably go up. You'll be getting more fees from smart contracts, other things. So basically, the idea is that gets us to where we need to go. I think we have like five years before the supply runs out, something like that. So we have basically five years to get something sustainable for everyone to continue to make money on, which I don't see being a problem with the um, ideas that we have for what to do with smart contracts. I could see, I mean, you're not going to have any issues with uh, making money in Cardano. It, could there yeah. be a situation where stake pool operators maybe or Cardano community itself votes on higher transaction fees to support the stake pool operators, but at the same time, that makes certain transaction fees for smart contracts a little bit too expensive? It, could there be a situation where it could get too high, the transaction fees, just to support the operators? It's possible, but I mean, that's the whole thing with governance. I mean, everyone has to come together and decide what they want these parameters to be. I mean, we kind of threw them out there after doing some simulations, set some things where we thought they needed to be right now. But by the time we run out of money, we're going to have Voltaire. So if the fees are going up, it's going to be because people want the fees to go up. Okay. Okay. And that's good. Voltaire will be out there to vote on it. Oh, and just to, you know, Charles mentioned in the chat that we will reach the halfway point in seven years and then the tail will last a century. And that kind of jives with the math that I ran. So the halfway ah, that's point. That's right. Uh, what that's will happen the halfway, is halfway point, point I was thinking for five, but that's actually seven. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we got five years plenty the halfway of time. Point. Yeah. And that kind of jives. I ran the math. I said, if we start at six and you start distributing eight at 6%, I use very broad math. I don't do precision math. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then the rewards degraded over time. I said, in 30 years, how would that look? And it it would degrade down to like 2% inflation. But that did not take into account transaction fees. That was just reserves. Right. Using a graduated scale to degrade it. But now that the official has been put out, that it's basically like having every 
four to seven years. I saw some people do it using a four-year, half the reserve is gone. Then four years later, half the reserve is gone. Seven years is probably a better number to go with, as Charles pointed out. It's going to be a while. And by the time you ever deplete the reserves, we'll probably figure out what additional things can be done to uh, maintain incentives on the test net. And there was another question in chat. There, uh, any other questions on the on the reserves or rewards? There was a question in chat about the amount of stake in Japan or coming from Japan. So I think that's also something good to talk about. It's not Sam's field of expertise, but it is something that Philippe Pratesh and I are probably familiar with the community uh, feelings on that and the community thoughts on that. Anybody's thoughts on the percentage? Now, you got to remember the ICO was held in Japan. And so thank you to the Japanese for helping with the ICO. So it's all legal and you don't have the SEC breathing down our neck for the next five years saying, where'd that money come from? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Came from Japan. That's where we did it. (laughs) But right now there's massive bags in Japan and people do pie charts and they, uh, which is important and it's good. It's good input pie charts showing that there's a massive amount of stake still in Japan, still on the pools of Japan and it's no harm, no foul, but you know, um, it does affect people and they go, wow, sheesh. You know, what are your thoughts on that? Is it good, bad, indifferent? Does it matter? Is it going to fade over the years? No, I think that, you know, as far as being able to capture that market share, it's uh, it's going to be an area of opportunity, you know, just being able to go in there and provide value to that community. Um, I don't think that it necessarily is going to affect decentralization in the long run. It makes sense with the ICO being held in Japan for J- Japanese holders to have a significant stake in the network, but... I, I think it's an opportunity. It is. I think yeah. part of the problem we we're saying with Japan is that it's not getting delegated. So there's a ton of stake out there that just has not been delegated that people are assuming is coming mostly from Japan. And if that's the case, if they're not delegating their stake, they're probably sitting on it waiting for Cardano to get up above a certain price point and then they're going to sell it off. And then that those funds won't be in Japan anymore at that point. That's another way you can look at it. Yeah, it takes it takes years for it to spread. It has to have enough value for the holder to want to sell it off, and then now somebody else holds that. I saw someone did a price comparison chart. For example, Ethereum was at 14% distribution, and Cardano was at 15 or 16%. It was only a few percent behind Ethereum, and it's also a few years behind Ethereum in time. So over time, it just... Dis- it disperses. So the value has to go up enough for those big bag holders that are holding like a hundred million ADA to sell it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And going back to the last conversation we had with Voltaire, if the value goes up so much, the community can always vote to reduce the rewards coming from the reserves because the rewards are worth so much more um, that would extend the life of the reserves even longer. It's a good idea. I hadn't thought of that. Well, Sam man, Sam mentioned a possible liquidation from Japanese whale investors, but if there are any Japanese whale investors watching the Cardano Effect podcast right now, if you're going to liquidate, that's fine, but you might as well start staking now and you can have even more ADA. So get that ADA sloshing within the system. And when you want to exit, you know, be my guest. Yeah. But delegation, you can jump in and out. This is not like Cosmos. This is not like EOS. This is not like other cryptocurrencies where you have to sit there and you got to wait for your funds. You get your funds slashed or there's a whole waiting period or a long 
time period where you have to remove your stake or undelegate and then move it away. You can jump in and out as quickly as possible. So Absolutely. And what I was saying there basically was more of that these people are probably not watching what's going on. They have no idea Shelly's come. They're just sitting on these bags and not watching the podcasts right now and understanding what's going on there. So that was what I was getting at there. Not that they shouldn't delegate. They absolutely should delegate if uh, they're listening. Yes. And that, that's the key is delegate to pools across the world, right? Not it, There are certain pools where it's extremely concentrated with hundreds of millions of ADA. And I'll give you an example. I'm looking at a pool. While you're saying that, I pulled a pool tool and I took a look. There's a particular pool that has 416 million ADA sitting on it right wow. now. And I think they only have one node on. And I'm like crying. I'm sitting here crying inside going, oh my gosh, that's a lot of ADA. And it's, I don't even know if the nodes turned on because it didn't make any blocks yet. Oh, and I man. guess when you have that much ADA, you don't feel responsible for that ADA or something. I don't know. It's their <laughs> ADA. They, do, they can do whatever they want. They can do whatever they want with that ADA. But I'm like crying inside looking at it saying, turn the nodes on, please. <laughs> we need that to secure the blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> if I had 416 million data, I wouldn't be sitting here right now. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> I'd be running like 400 pools. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Turn the notes on. <laughs> Let's see if we got any questions in there. Any other questions from chat or Pratesh, if you have questions for me and Philippe. Oh, man. Rick, I wanted to talk to you about the video you made yesterday. I think a lot of people who may not have seen that uh, just briefly touching on the difference between active stake and live stake, you know, just so I can kind of recap and maybe you can just elaborate a little bit on it. Uh, so active stake is what's going to be uh, used in order to determine the rewards for the pool. And I guess, uh, so live stake isn't necessarily going to be effective until I guess 10 days, right? So two epochs is when you'll see the live stake kind of take effect. Is that, did I kind of understand that right? I can explain that a little bit better. So uh, basically you have your active stake and that's the stake that the pool currently has with the current epoch making blocks. And live stake is how much they currently have delegated to in this point in time. And that live stake will get snapshotted at the end of the epoch and then skip one epoch and the blocks start being made based on that stake. Nice. All right. And so I'm think I'm glad I'm glad you're here to explain that the that kind of detail, Sam. And in addition to what Pratesh was asking, is that now uh, if you go to adapools.org and you, you look at what is the current active stake, the block production that you see for the current epic is based off the active stake, not the live stake. Yep. Okay. So make sure people if you, if you're looking at pool performance metrics. Uh, I'm suggesting that you look at active stake versus block production and also consider that epics are five days long. So some of the pools with more modest amounts of stake, it might take two or three days before they generate a block. And then once they do, you know, you're doing, you're doing well, right? You're in good shape. But yeah, active stake, make sure you're looking at active when you compare it to block production so that you have a better idea of how that pool is performing. Not the live stake because we've seen pools jump from they have like 19 million on active stake and they make a block or, or they didn't make a block and then people left and now it's down to 200,000, right? Right. 
And then they made a block based off of the 19 million. But so if you don't tie all the pieces together, you don't know how that pool actually performed. And the reason I point that out is it could be detrimental to the smaller pools, the pools of more modest stake amounts. If they don't create a block until three or four days into the epic, then delegators might start leaving, not looking at the actual stake amount, the active stake amount, right? So that's what I want to make sure is that the smaller pools don't get like penalized by losing delegates. Exactly, uh, exactly. Because of that. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's good to clarify that. I know we don't give financial advice, but I would highly recommend that you only look at moving your delegations around every other epoch or so. See how you're doing, see how your rewards are looking, see how that pool's performance is doing, and then analyze. Don't go changing your delegations around daily. It really doesn't make sense. Yeah, that's right. And only because the one that counts is at the epic boundary, right, Sam? Wh yep. Whatever, wherever it's at, at the boundary. Yep. So, so if I change it today and I change it tomorrow, it doesn't matter, right? I'm just right. wasting you just burn transaction fees for fees. no reason. Yeah. Oh, I got another question. It just came to mind. What is that two ADA? Anyone can take this. The two ADA. When I reg when I first delegate from a wallet. Yep. Instead of it costing 0.17 ADA, it costs me 2.17 ADA the first time I do it. What is that two ADA, and where does it go? So you run a pool. You probably recognize the 500 ADA a whole lot more than the two ADA, don't you? I do. It's 500 ADA. So those <laughs> it's are, a lot. Those are, those are deposits. They go in a deposit for that stake address. And then when you're done with the pool, if you want to retire the pool, you get that 500 ADA back. If you're done delegating, you get that two ADA back. So it's a deposit you put on your stake address. And then when you retire that stake address, you get that two ADA back. Okay. And is that address then expended and you don't reuse it or it doesn't matter? It's just undelegated. You can always re-register that stake address at a later point and pay the two ADA to re-register it again. So there's nothing in the protocol that prevents that. Okay. Thanks for that. So you, you get the two ADA back. Yeah, you get the two it. ADA back. And that's something to point out that like if you're moving funds from wallets to wallets um, and Daedalus doesn't support this yet, it will in the future. But make sure that when you move your funds from one wallet to another wallet that you remember to deregister that stake address so you get that two ADA back. I mean, it's only two ADA. People probably don't care that much right now, but it's, it's definitely worthwhile to go through and get your deposits back when you're done using them. Yep. And it, it, two ADA doesn't seem like a lot now, but you know. How much is two Bitcoin worth today and how much was it worth in 2009? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was worth a buck in 2009. <laughs> yeah. 10 years from now, you might be like digging out that Daedalus client. Oh, I've got to find that old mnemonic. Okay, I got that two ADA back. Now I can pay my rent again. <laughs> <laughs> it could happen. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Let me jump back to the comment section. Rick, do you see any other comments? Yes. From Smith Stake Pools Online. Uh, asks, is it possible that a pool produces more blocks than it gets assigned? And that's a good question as in, let's say, because we don't see the leader schedules right now, right? The pool operators don't see the leader schedule. Umed Sidov does do a distribution graph. Uh, he's been doing them one-on-one -on -one, one -on -one for people so they can see how it looks. But 
I don't think, let's say a pool gets 30 blocks assigned by the protocol, as an example. So 30 blocks according to the protocol. Is it possible for the pool to produce 31 blocks either accidentally or magically or otherwise? No, that's not possible. What is possible is that you think you're going to get 30 blocks and really you get 31 because probabilities go up and down. Okay, so you might see that. And that's probably what the the graph from UMED explains very well is it shows the probability where there's a peak and that peak might fall at 30 blocks. So the highest probability is you'll probably hit 30. And then the graph bell curves off. Mm -hmm. And there's a lower probability that you're going to get like 25 or 35, but the highest probability is around 30. Right. So, yeah. And they, they might start ruling those kind of, they might start rolling those kind of graphs into a pool tool and um, ADA pools and stuff like that. And they're, they're, they're kind of like a lot of community members are putting their heads together, trying to figure out how they want to put those graphs and where they want to put those graphs to say, this, this is how many blocks the pool should make. Similar to the performance of Daedalus, but it'll help you project based on the amount of stake you have. So this is a great point for me to interject and say thank you to all the community creators that have made things like Pool Tool and Umed with these graphs. It's it's nice being in an ecosystem where we don't feel like we have to provide all the tooling to the community to be able to function um, and that the community can really step up and be like, hey, I can get this data from DBSync. I'm going to write my own code to do it and make it look a whole lot nicer and show exactly the data I want. So, I mean, it's really, really awesome that the community is stepping up in that regard. Yeah, and there are a lot of tools. Uh, in the pool tool. AdaPools, Pegasus app, and now AdaPools has a an alert that goes to Telegram. Pool tool made an alert that goes to Telegram, and Pegasus app made alerts that go to, uh, like my your phone. The phone will bling when um, a pool makes a block. If you put it in your favorites and enable the alert, if your favorite pool makes a block, Pegasus will go bling. You know, hey, my pool got a block. If a relay goes down, you can enable that. And it'll go bling, like if you're a pool operator and you want to monitor your relays that way, it'll bling, your relay went down, for example. Uh, it's pretty cool. It's really cool, actually. I mean, it's amazing what these what these fellas are doing. That's pretty cool. It is. It is. Very nice. It's very nice. And they're out there. The developers are here. And there's going to be more once Gogan goes out. So, nice work. All right, so that was a good question. We're going to get a few more from chat, Philippe. Okay, sounds good. Okay. And we still got we still got 15 minutes left, so we're good. Shout out to Old Paz Singh. Thank you for answering all these questions. Yeah, people in the chat are helping each other out. Oh, there's a really good question from Salt Staking. Okay. Salt Staking asks, at which epoch should we start to see saturation levels? Can you expound on this? Ooh. Ooh. Current saturation. I think, so if, if you're talking about Daedalus, it's currently disabled in the UI right now, I think, with the latest release is my understanding with that. But the saturation levels, I mean, we should start seeing some saturation now because, I mean, N is 150 and we have 200 pools that have made blocks so far. So that means the saturation should kick in. Yeah, at about 207 million. Yeah. Let me check okay. ADA pools while, while you're talking about that. It looks like the only pool, I just pulled up live stake. Uh, the only pool that's above saturation 
is IOG one. Yeah. I'm not commenting on that. (laughs) No, that's okay. Sam, somebody has to do the hard work. (laughs) Yeah. No need to comment, but yeah, there's, there was a lot of people that were pissed off about where's the IO, all that IOG steak. (laughs) Sam got to sleep sometime. (laughs) Another question. Um, This is slightly off topic, but um, from what we were previously discussing crypto t says i was going to try and split my ada into two stake pools do i have to create two wallets and split the ada i want between the two then delegate so i can just quickly answer this question and ask sam when that feature would be would be coming but currently it's one wallet equals one pool you cannot partition your wallets to point to two different pools so if you want to delegate to two or three different pools you're going to have to create two or three different shelly style wallets sam is that feature going to be implemented soon is there um, should we expect that coming soon? We currently have business analysts gathering requirements from a nun- number of um, stakeholders and what they want to see for multi-pool delegation and how that's going to look. Our priority from IOHK side basically is making sure that we have that ability in hardware wallets because, I mean, we keep our funds in hardware wallets as a security measure. So, um when we have that feature, hardware wallets are probably going to have it first, but potentially it might be around the same time when Daedalus has something like that. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah, I can't find saturation on the status boards. Maybe people are being, uh, maybe people are tentative about posting what saturation is in case. Uh, I swear I saw it on here on Ada polls. Yep, maybe I'm mistaken. So yeah, I think saturation is around 207 million. But what I think people don't want to find out is they go, oh, saturation turns out it's something much lower and their reward, they got diminished rewards. That's why people are interested in saturation. They want to make sure they don't go over it or delegate to a pool that goes over it. But you know, it's kind of easy to do. You find a pool that falls in the mid range and say, well, or whatever, or, or in the lower end of the range and you don't have a problem, right? We'll learn more. We'll learn more as time goes on. That's that's also partially why we don't want to increase K very much right now. As nice as it would be, bigger pools are going to have to split up into even smaller pools, and we would much rather have a wallet that can handle multi-delegation at that point. So, for example, IOHK could um, do a ton of community delegations as well. Okay. Because mm-hmm. okay. right now it would be very difficult. If you wanted to do let's say 500 community delegations, you would have to make 500 wallets to do it. Mm -hmm. And when you're swinging around a couple billion ADA, I'd imagine you have armed guards in the room because if you make a mistake with a couple billion ADA, yeah, Yeah, I would be sweating bullets, man. I'd be like, you watch the door, you. Watch me. <laughs> it's not like I just whip out my cell phone and click a couple buttons and there's a couple hundred million ADA floating around out there. I ain't gonna do that, man. I sweat the load when I'm just, I, yeah. I sweat the load when I'm making a video and I, I just move a couple hundred ADA just to do a, a training video. I'm like, man, I don't want to screw mm-hmm. this up. Yeah. That 200 ADA could buy me a a lot in a couple of years from now. Who knows? <laughs> Sam, and are you in those high pressure situations? Are, are they sweating you a little bit? Do you have to handle oh, great responsibility like that? I've had some high pressure situations, but I mean, I, I love my company. I love my boss and 
part of the job. <laughs> I couldn't do it, man. I would be sweating till I'd be like, oh my gosh, what if I click the wrong button? <laughs> send a test sample first. One. Okay, now send another sample. Yeah, 100 million. <laughs> you can't send a test sample to do an update proposal. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure, right? No pressure. <laughs> I, don't, I don't envy you, Sam. <laughs> so one other thing to go along with that. I know a lot of community members have been hitting IOHK hard. Why didn't you guys run private pools? And um, we actually had some intention of running private pools initially, but uh, Daedalus uh, doesn't have the ability to actually delegate to private pools yet. So that became a little bit of a concern with running private pools. They don't even show in the list and you can't search for pools that are outside of the list. So that was that answers the question of why we didn't run a bunch of private pools. I didn't know that. Thanks for putting that out. You guys hear everyone hear that. They're not running private pools because you can't delegate to them in Deadlift. So yeah, right. Um, I guess whenever you can, you'll probably shift things around a little, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I think Charles said we're looking at probably four to six weeks at running with this configuration we currently have. And then um, as we have better tooling on the wallet side to do multi-account delegation, we'll look at a different strategy, tweak things around, see how things go. Okay. Yeah, that's good. All right. Let me see if there's any questions in the chat. Ada Cardano says, Sam's the best. You got that right. Sam's the best. <laughs> Sam's, <laughs> Sam's working the wee hours of the night and the early hours in the morning to make, to make sure the pool operators are squared away. <laughs> how many, how many nodes do you run across the world? You, you run across the world. You had the test net going. You had a, at one point, we had a Jormungander test net and a Shelly test net. What's the most nodes you ever had spread across, spread across the planet? <sighs> I don't you were, have an exact number. I can tell you on main that we're sitting around 220 nodes right now. That you have to manage. Yeah. And that number will go down significantly when we have P2P because you guys will be supporting the brunt of the uh, Daedalus clients and other clients connecting to it. Um, basically, what we refer to as the edge nodes connecting to the relays. So right now, we're taking the brunt of it. So we have about 200 give or take uh, relays, and then the 20 pools were running. On ITN, I want to say it was somewhere around 100 nodes. MC4 testnet, I think we ran around 30 to 50 nodes. Although, no, I think MC4, because at one point we had close to 1,000 pools on there, so we had to scale up our relays up to, I think, about 200 to be able to give all the people that were submitting pool requests with relays added to our topology. We basically had to spread that out because we can only do 20 nodes in the topology. And then you have, and you do your restarts like every other day or every day or something like that to add the ones that are missing. So you had to run yeah. 200 nodes to get at 20. And then I'm assuming you have to mesh them. You got to point to the IOG nodes to other IOG relays. Yep. And add community relays to those relays. Right. And our pools, too. So we have our pools. We have our relays. They all kind of have to mesh together. We have to connect to everybody else's relays out there. Um, P2P is going to make my life a lot less stressful. I, I bet. I bet. I bet. Me and my sons were doing that. We were meshing and pointing. And, we're like, and I thought to myself, my God, how does Sam do this? 
<laughs> I, I mean, I, I can draw it out on a piece of paper and make it work, but I'm thinking if you're doing this on a global scale and then, uh, and then some, some guy, some guy out there said, Oh, th- all those notes don't count. The only one that counts is sitting in the IOHK office. And I'm just shaking my head going, you have no idea how this works. <laughs> there's like a thousand pool operators out there and there's hundreds of IOHK nodes and you don't need them. You can, you can turn them off, but if you do, you, it's better to have them on. Right. So, yeah. So that so that if someone bootstraps a brand new node, at least it knows somewhere it can go, right? It's yeah, like, well, I can go to that IHK node. Yeah, yeah, if you look at the uh, Cardano Ops repo, all the code that we've written is open source. We basically have a topology update script um, that generates. Um, uh, most people are familiar with the um, slash relays slash topologies JSON file, I think it is, on the Explorer that you can get to get a list of all the um, relays that we include in our nodes. Um, and then people are picking and choosing from there. And basically, that's generated from one script. And then we have a separate script that pulls that down. That then, um, And then there's a whole bunch of Nix code that kind of glues it together and makes sure that all the relays are proportioned correctly for what region of the world they're in, because you don't want our... Uh, Asia Pacific nodes uh, contacting directly someone's nodes in um, Oregon or whatnot. So, yeah, it was uh, quite the adventure. And I do have to give a shout out to one of my teammates, uh, Jean Baptiste, um, that made a lot of that code work. And then the other one would be John Latoski. Between the two of them, so much stuff got done in the last month on how we're going to do this. And I, I really have to credit both of them for all that. Yeah, that's fantastic. I can't imagine how much work that was. The last time I pulled that list, Sam, the last time I pulled it, it had 462 entries. And I said, I ain't pulling that list again. <laughs> and again, I thought of you and I'm like, how the hell does Sam do this? <laughs> Nick's, you do it with Nick's, I'm assuming. Yeah, Nick's. I can't, I'm like, how do you do it, man? Nick's map said, fold, basically. That's pretty much it. We So Nick's gives us functional programming constructs and a configuration management tool, which is why we like Nick's so much more than something like Puppet or Ansible. So I can basically take a list of a whole bunch of things that have these attributes associated with it and then do maps and filters and folds across that list to generate some other list or to generate a file or uh, all these different things. So basically, yeah, we're doing all that with Nix. Wow. And so in the meantime, the best thing for a pool operator to do is to use uh, the community tools because that list is giant now. It's over a thousand entries on it. And Use the topology updater if you're running a pool and or the um, the pool tool variant, get buddies, or uh, Martin has a tool a tool out there and CN Tools has a tool for it. So there's various tools. People can pull a smaller list from the massive list. Yep. And then we're good. We're you can good. also filter through that massive list on your continent too, which shrinks it down significantly, especially if you're in a, in a not very popular continent for running pools. Yeah. You know, that brings up a good point for the pool operators. I kind of mesh my list and I say, um, I get the majority in North America, but I also pick, it's about 60% North America and 20% in Europe, 20% in Asia, or 20% mixed between two other continents and 20% in Europe to get all of my notes. Cause I think somebody has to make Somebody has to leap across the ocean. So I'll go ahead and leap across the Pacific and point to the guy in California 
The guy in California, he can make that leap to Asia. <laughs> yep. Does that sound about right? Yep. Okay. But I do have a couple, just a few in Asia and Australia. And I'm just like, okay, they can make that leap over there. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. Yep. But the majority you want local to your continent. Yeah. You want your relays probably pretty close to where your pools are running. Okay. And I think a lot of people got that figured out. But if anyone brings up a new pool, that's something they should uh, take a look at. All right, so we're about we're hitting the hour mark here. Yes, we are, and uh, we've we had a lot to go over. Pratesh, if there's anything else you want to add, ask questions or throw in there, please feel free to have a think on that, and I'll check chat, make sure we got all our questions. Yeah, no, I man, I'm learning a lot just from uh, hearing Sam speak, and you know, just a big thank you to you, sir, and I know your team just working hard tremendously. So it's a it's an exciting ride. I'm glad to be here. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, and thank you for coming back on. We do have a, a good wrap-up question in there. And any others that you find in there, Philippe, from Farzam Pilagi also asks, what happens if everyone delegates all the ADA they have? Is that going to be a problem? I know the price will rise or I know something else will happen. So if all, th so currently there's 31 billion ADA available. What happens if all 31 billion gets staked? Does anyone know? That'd be great. The price goes to infinity as well. <laughs> so, the rewards no. drop to some very low number and the price goes to a very high number yeah so so your pools are based on the proportion of stake you have in the system so uh basically if all of it is staked then it's spread out across all those pools and you have now if all that if you have 30 billion staked in a single pool that's a bad thing but yeah if we have everything distributed nicely i mean that's great if we can stake all of it okay so all the rewards percentages the, the more that gets staked the reward becomes slightly less and the less that gets staked, the rewards go slightly up, which encourages people to stake because the rewards are higher. And then once it goes up to maximum stake, then the rewards kind of stabilize at some normal numbers. Or basically, in other words, if staking drops as it goes lower, the rewards go up. Yeah. That's still in the math, right? Yeah. If staking okay. drops as it goes lower, then the rewards go up. Okay. And then if all the eight is staked, then we'll, we'll all be pretty happy. <laughs> It'll be a very secure network, too. <laughs> it already <Yeah>. is. <laughs> as long as we have enough pools doing it, I mean, that would be great if we had that much staked. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then there's a follow-up question. It says, if we all stake all the ADA, who will be making transactions? <laughs> Nobody? I don't know. You can make transactions yeah. from a staked wallet. It's basically mm -hmm. just snapshotted at the end of the epoch. So any transactions you make, basically, when you get to the end of the epoch, you're not going to get rewards an epoch down, but you'll get other ADA coming in. So, I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with spending funds that are staked. Yeah, you know, that's a great point that would really help people understand is you, you stake your ADA, it's never locked. You stake right. it. If you want to send it, you send it. Right. And then at the turn of the next epic, it'll snapshot the new balance of that wallet that's already staked. Yep. And that's it. And if I have a staked wallet A and staked wallet B, and I send ADA from staked wallet A to B, when it gets to wallet B, it's going to be staked again. Yep. It's in, it's, it went if to a staked address. If your stake key is registered and if, it's, if that stake key is delegated to a pool, that is not retired. 
So Sam, I'm guessing when you have that feature where you can partition the wallets, the additional rewards that go inside that wallet, is it going to be a percentage base that people choose? Because um, that new ADA that gets added to the wallet would have to, I mean, it would affect the ratio of what's being delegated to. Like if you say that you're doing 50% to pool A and 50% to pool B, but you get rewards, I mean, how, how would that work? So you could have an auto-balancing wallet where you say that, hey, I want to do 25% to this pool, 25% to this pool, 50% to this pool. And basically it would um, move the funds around so it's all in UTXOs associated with the right stake address to make that happen. So that very possibly could happen. Um, like I said, it's currently in the um, business analyst hands and requirements gathering of exactly how we want that to look. The other way it could be is you could have a um, multi-account feature where basically your wallet has multiple accounts and coin selection only happens from that one account when you're sending transactions. So it'd be like having multiple wallets in a single wallet. So you could have like 10 accounts. This is my savings account. This is my... Uh, uh, I don't know, my 401k account, you could have all these things and each account would delegate to a different pool. Okay. And you could have a spending wallet that you can also stake and say, when I want to spend, it'll come out of that account, for yes, example. exactly. And I would just name it spending wallet. And yep. then the other ones I would want to leave alone. Right. But you could do that without having multiple mnemonics. Basically, all these accounts would be tied to the same mnemonic. So... The derivation scheme supports that, so that's definitely a route we could go. The other route, the auto-balancing route, um, there's a few options there on how to handle things. All right. Well, thanks, okay. Sam, for explaining all the technical details. I think we've got almost all the questions. Uh, there's yes. one one last one. Will Shelly era come to an end one day or will be forever? Forever. I mean, the era yeah. will go from Shelly to Gogan, but I mean, the staking and everything that we've achieved in this era will last forever. Mm -hmm. And modifications can occur forever also. But at some point, I think some people are saying, when is Shelly end and when does Gogan pick up? Even when Gogan picks up, though, I mean, we're going to have the same features. It's just going to be new features being added to it. Yeah. And, and Gogan has been going on for a long time. They're all in parallel. Absolutely. And they can go on forever. Like, even though Voltaire's done and we say, all right, Cardano's done, everything's done. It's never really done. Mm -hmm. It just goes on forever. Well, that's what the treasury is for. I mean, mm -hmm. that's how if someone wants to start working on Cardano two years from now or so, they can petition the treasury and say, hey, I have this great idea. I want a million ADA to do it and I'll deliver the, the uh, thing in six months. What do you guys think? Who wants to vote for my idea? So that's where we're going. That's the direction we're headed. And there's lots of opportunity there. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's incredible where Cardano's going. It's um, been a long time in the making, but I think it was built right. So great job, Sam, and all the folks at IOG putting all the hard work in to do this. And now the community's picking it up. So we've hit our hour. We're a little bit okay. over an hour. Philippe, uh, what, okay. do you, what do you say, buddy? All right, we'll wrap it up. So thank you to all the listeners. I'm going to give the last words to Pratesh and Sam. If you want to say anything to the listeners and viewers of the Cardano Effect, Pratesh, we'll start with you. Do you have anything to say? Yeah, no, just um, everybody, thank you so much for all the support. I know I've uh, been working really hard on uh, creating YouTube content. So, you know, if you're able to subscribe to the Cardano Effect 
uh, these guys work incredibly hard to bring content for the community. Um, really just an incredible experience to be here. And uh, for everybody who's delegating their ADA, uh, excited to get those rewards. So looking forward to that. Okay. Thank you, Pratesh. Sam? Yeah, I just want to say thank you to all the pool operators. Um, this has been an amazing journey. And I mean, we're looking at a little over a year that we've been making this journey, if you include the ITN. And it's just been an awesome roller coaster with ups and downs. And I'm very thankful for all the pool operators that have stuck it out and are here today. All right. All right. That concludes episode 103. We'll join us again next week for 104. All right. Have a great weekend, everyone. Enjoy. Thank you. Take care.